everyone to As For Me and My House Season 2. Thanks for joining us in your homes, around your tables, or in your small groups in our church-wide study, Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible. This is Chapter 7, God in His World. That's right, Chapter 7, all of Chapter 7. So no more Part 1 and Part 2, because from here on out till the end, we are entirely in the New Testament, aren't we, Lauren? That's right. In our past sessions, we looked at God's promises in the Old Testament as part one, and then connected that promise to the New Testament in part two. But now we've arrived in the New Testament itself, so we're no more breaking up our sessions anymore. We'll just cover each chapter as a whole from here on out. Great. That should make things a bit simpler. And uh, just by way of review, let's touch on those Old Testament promises that we've covered all these weeks past. Let's just see what we have found in our overview so far. So promise number one was God's promise of making a very good world with people living under his loving rule to run his world, to run it well. And promise two was because man followed a lying snake and messed that all up, God made a promise to send someone to defeat Satan, sin, and death. And three, God made a promise to a man named Abraham to bring blessing to people from all over the world. Four, God made a promise to deliver God's people from his judgment by providing something, or rather someone, to die in our place. And five, God made a promise to give his people an eternal king to lead his people in obeying him. Six, God made a promise to bring his people to a wonderful life beyond his judgment. Okay, wow. Uh, Those are some very lofty promises, Mm -hmm. those six promises we just mentioned. They are massive promises. And in the world that we live in, isn't it true that keeping promises is not easy? It's not a given. Hmm. I mean, even things as simple as getting home on time for dinner or or doing simple chores for one another in the house, uh, those promises are not always kept. Of course, in our world, there's even bigger promises that are made and broken, uh, like work contracts and, of course, marriage promises. And in politics, we're kind of used to what we call empty promises. We just come to... to accept Mm -hmm. that politicians are not going to fulfill a lot of the Mm -hmm. promises that they make in order to get elected. Mm -hmm. But God's promises, they are the biggest promises. And isn't it amazing that he keeps all his promises, Mm -hmm. every single one of them. And because he does, this should affect our lives. Mm -hmm. So let's begin in Luke chapter 9, verse 21 today. Yes, Jesus makes some promises here, four of them. The context is that Peter just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, that he really is the Messiah. And then Luke records this, verse 21, he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, what were the four promises that Jesus made there or, you know, predictions, promises? Mm -hmm. There were four of them. Uh, First of all, that he will suffer many things. Second, that he will be rejected by religious leaders. Mm -hmm. Three, that he will be killed. And four, he will be raised on the third day. Now, those are some wild promises, aren't they? Mm. And how do you think the disciples felt when they heard Jesus say these? I mean, because Peter, in that context, again, Peter had just declared that Jesus was the promised one, that he was the Messiah. And now Jesus says that, of himself that he is going to suffer, be rejected, die, and be raised. I mean, how do you think they felt? How would you feel if someone that you loved and followed had said these things? Probably shocked, confused, disappointed. Yeah, I think so. 
right? And so the question is, how will Jesus fulfill all those promises of God if he ends up dead? Well, he actually will fulfill some of those promises uh, in by dying. But you know what? He will prove all mm-hmm. of those promises true by rising mm-hmm. from the dead. And it seems that the disciples don't really hear that fourth promise about being raised from the dead. It's kind of like they just tune it out after hearing those first three predictions, mm-hmm. the ones of suffering, rejection, and death. But Jesus would rise. That's what he would do. And that is what our focus and our attention is on today. Uh, this resurrection of Jesus. And this is really timely because Easter Mm. is next weekend. And so this podcast about Jesus's resurrection is coming out. It's coming out just in time for uh, Easter, which is next weekend. Now we didn't plan that timing out, did we Lauren? Nope. No, we didn't. But, but I guess God did. Yes, God did. And his timing is always perfect. It is. So let's look at the resurrection. This is what our current chapter is about in our Promises Kept Study Guide. Mm. Now, you don't need to be the Messiah, the Messiah, uh, do you, to predict perhaps even your own death and to get it right? You, you could do that. But to predict your resurrection and to get that right, that is an entirely different story. And that's the story we're getting into. We won't be able to cover the whole chapter now, uh, verse by verse, in this podcast But let's touch on some key matters of this resurrection story. Uh, Let's just see some of the evidences of the resurrection that we must deal with. And so we're going to Luke chapter 24, and it begins with Jesus having been buried, but now the tomb's empty. So the first thing that we see in chapter 4 is the ladies come to the tomb at early dawn with their spices. Chapter 24, verses 1 to 3. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So they find the stone, but they don't find Jesus. You ask why? Well, because he's gone. Yes, and then the angels confirm this in verses 4 to 6. It says, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men, and that's angels, They stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? What a question. Mm. And they said, he is not here. He has risen. So they tell them that this is consistent with what scripture has said in Jesus' teaching. Verse 6, remember how Jesus told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. Right, so the ladies then go back and tell it to the eleven and to the rest. Mary Magdalene was among the group. Verse 10, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Well, that's interesting. Jesus predicted it several times. Scripture pointed to it. Angels confirmed it. And yet it still seemed to them like an idle tale, which we'll get to soon. Yeah, and then Peter, he even sees the tomb and he sees that it's empty. Chapter 24, verse 12 of Luke. But Peter uh, rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. Well, what had happened was that Jesus truly had risen from the dead. Mm. Though the Jews wanted to hide this fact and created lies around it, which scripture says still circulate, the truth is that Jesus had a public execution. He was placed in a well-known grave. 
Soldiers stood guard at his tomb, but Jesus really rose from the dead, conquering death. The grave was empty. That's why 500 people saw him. They were not hallucinations. Jesus really rose. People did not just rise from the dead. Exactly. And that's why it's a big deal. And so we must deal with this evidence of the empty tomb itself. And we must deal with the, uh, the historical validity of mm. this account. Mm-hmm. You know, there is overwhelming evidence for the existence of Jesus Christ, both in secular and biblical history. Perhaps the greatest evidence that Jesus did exist is the fact that literally thousands of Christians in the first century uh, AD, including the, the apostles, that they were willing to give their lives as martyrs for Jesus Christ. People will die for what they believe to be true, but no one will die for what they know to be a lie. And this gospel story is written by a respected historian and bears the marks of true history and not legend writing. For example, if you were making up history, you would never make women as the eyewitnesses unless it happened like this. In ancient cultures, women were marginalized. They could offer testimony in domestic, family, and private law, but they would not function this way as public witnesses or public spokesmen. Yeah, on top of that, uh, speaking of the, the, the women, that we have to deal with this account of, of the women, is that Mary Magdalene, uh, she w- kind of headed the group here, hmm. and she was formerly a demon-possessed woman. You know, people could say that her mind was deluded by sorcery, but she heads the list in all four Gospels uh, in terms of this account. Now, if this account was fabricated, you would not have this hmm. lady as your witness. Unless, of course, it really happened. Hmm. So, uh, furthermore, when we're speaking of the evidence of the resurrection, we have to deal with even the skepticism of the disciples. Hmm. You know, they were slow to believe all that Jesus had said and all that the scriptures had said. Now, if anyone should not have doubted, it should have been the man that spent three years with Jesus and seeing his works and his miracles And yet, they could not believe the words of the women. They heard the women's stories, and they heard it as make-believe tales. That is, until Christ appears to them. It's interesting and sad that nobody at this point is anticipating the resurrection. Jesus said it several times, and everything that Jesus spoke happened. Not a word of his fell flat to the ground. Every single one was accomplished. So why was nobody anticipating this? I mean, the disciples, they were just as skeptical as modern man is today. Right, maybe more. Until they see him risen from the dead, and it changes the whole course of their lives. They become willing to give their very lives to communicate this truth to the world. Our Messiah has come. He died for your sins. He rose from the grave. This changes everything. Yeah, so, you know, if we have any non-Christian friends that are listening right now, uh, you know, sometimes... uh, you know, some want to say that um, that Christianity is just, we, we believe it because it's something that we've just been told our whole lives, right? That we should really examine these things. Well, you know, the skeptics should examine these claims as well. It really, it really does go both ways. Um, so would you consider these evidences? Um, you know, the best place to begin is the Bible itself. And that is where Jesus puts the emphasis of the validity of his resurrection. He actually puts it on the written message. Now, it's it's interesting that when you look at chapter 24 of Luke, verses 39 to 43, 
we see that the disciples are, are, are touching Jesus's um, nail-pierced hands. They're seeing Jesus eat fish. Mm. He's doing physical things. But Jesus, uh, in the midst of this, he puts the emphasis on hearing. Uh, verse 44, Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Verse 46, And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So the best place to examine this is the Bible itself. All of Scripture points to Jesus. So there are evidences for the resurrection of Jesus. But what does this prove about him? This is important. Mm-hmm. It, it, it proves, the resurrection proves Jesus' identity. He is who he says he is. He is truly God. He is truly man. And he is to be known as Savior and Lord. It, it, so it proves his identity. It proves that his words are true. His promises are true. What he promises he will do. Now let's just come to this question of how can we apply this? How can we apply the truth of the resurrection? How can this affect our lives? Well, the first thing is this. We, we can just realize that the hope that we have is not built on some myth, but it is built on something that happened in human history. Mm-hmm. Jesus' resurrection is foundational. If Christ had not been risen, we would still be in our sin. Christ's resurrection is proof that God the Father accepted his sacrifice for our sins. The resurrection was God the Father's stamp of approval. Our sins have been atoned for. He has paid the penalty for our sins and was raised with a resurrected body never to die again. And a second application is the risen Jesus is the first fruits of all who die in the Lord. His resurrection points forward to our resurrection. We were never meant simply to have bodies that die and are buried in the ground. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. When Christ comes back, our bodies will be raised, and we will live forever in new bodies that will never get sick or experience pain or die. What an amazing hope. Yeah, what hope for the believer in Christ. Hmm. Well, lastly, how does this affect us? This empty tomb, it should give us hope in all of life. Even right now, Jesus conquers death. And this is ultimate proof that what Satan means for evil, God can work for our good. He can bring good out of the worst griefs imaginable. You know, we can find encouragement in the dark moments of life because of the empty tomb. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy saying this. He said, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, 2 Timothy 2.8. So we need to just keep remembering Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ who is risen from the dead. Mm -hmm. Let us keep our eyes on the risen Christ. He is our faithful high priest. And because he lives we can indeed face tomorrow without fear. So let's remember that, that he intercedes for you, Christian, even today. Uh, Hebrews 7.25 says that he is able to save completely those who draw near to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So let us draw near to him that we may find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast comes out every second Friday. Join us again in two weeks as we continue in our study through Promises Kept, the whole story of the Bible. We'll be diving into chapter 8 called Hear the Message. May the Lord bless you in Christ. See you next time.